We are going to be reading from Acts chapter 6 as we continue along in our sermon series to the ends of the earth. And so, Master Ackley, if you would. <clears throat> and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. All right. Thank you, sir. I'm pretty sure Andrew's voice is deeper than my voice. <laughs> Which is crazy to think about. <laughs> it's awesome on uh, Family Sunday, or I guess Saturday, this would be family service, just to see the different students and young people that get involved, and so it's just always encouraging just to see them involved in some capacity. So I'm excited just to share from God's Word tonight, um, from the passage that we just read here in the book of Acts, and to continue in this series and I've just been building anticipation for this evening, and so I'm just excited to look at God's Word together with you. We're continuing in the series that we've been in, which is to the ends of the earth, right? We've been looking at Acts, the book of Acts, working our way through it, and we've been in Acts since the summer, uh, since we were at Lopat Park together. And we're going to continue looking at Acts, and up until this point in the book of Acts, we've been in Jerusalem, that's where we've been so far. That's where all of the stories that we've read, all of the formation of the church takes place. It takes place in Jerusalem. And we've seen God do these incredible acts through his disciples, right? Hence the name, the Acts of the Apostles. When I first understood that, it was like, that makes so much more sense now, right? It is the Acts of the Apostles. And that's what we've been listening to. That's what we've been looking at. And that's what we've been preaching on for the last uh, several weeks and several months. So far, if you remember back with me, we've seen in the beginning of Acts, Jesus ascend into heaven, right? And then the Holy Spirit descend, filling the disciples, causing Peter to preach leading thousands of people to Christ. What an incredible picture that we get. We get a glimpse of how the early church functioned in community with one another, and we see these incredible miracles being performed through the apostles and through the disciples. All of this that we've read about so far leads to rapid growth and to the formation of the early church. We see church discipline, right, in Ananias, in the case of Ananias and Sapphira. And we see how the people of Jerusalem respond to that. This causes many people in Jerusalem to pay attention to what is taking place amongst the early believers and amongst the early church. Up until this point, the people in Jerusalem, with the exception of maybe the religious leaders, uh, they admired the early church. 
and they were, you know, led and drawn to the early church, again, with the exception of the religious leaders. The religious leaders, out of jealousy at one point, warned Peter and John not to speak in the name of Jesus. Eventually, they have them arrested, right? Do you remember? They have, they have Peter and John arrested, only for them to be miraculously freed from prison, for them to go back out to preach in the name of Jesus again, then get arrested, put on trial, and this time they're beaten. However, none of this can stop the church from growing. The church is continuing to explode. God is doing something incredible, and we get to see exactly what it is that he's doing here in the book of Acts. Nothing can stop the church from growing, and then as a result of the church growing at the pace that it's growing, the growing pains begin to happen, right? Inevitably, problems begin to arise in the church, and one particular problem that we talked about last week is this issue between two separate groups of widows. The Hellenistic widows, those were the widows who were not from Jerusalem. The Hellenistic widows and then the Hebrew widows, those who were from Jerusalem. Those who were in the vicinity there of Jerusalem. And this problem begins to arise and the apostles don't want to deviate from what they know their mission is, which is prayer and the teaching of the word. And so they charge the people, the thousands of people now that form the church, to find seven men. Seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, to oversee the distribution, the daily distribution to the widows. These men were chosen by the people, and interestingly what we learn is that these seven men were Hellenists. Something incredible is beginning to take place, and there's a shift happening in the church, and there's a shift in the book of Acts as we read here and we see what God is about to do. God is about to use Stephen. As we read here in these verses and in this chapter, He's about to use Stephen, who is one of those seven men, as a catalyst to catapult the church out of Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. This was always God's plan. This was always God's intention. His intention was to move the church out of Jerusalem, and up until this point, they've been in Jerusalem. He's been establishing the church and been preparing them for this very moment. And God is about to use this incredible man, filled of the Spirit, to move the church from Jerusalem and out to the ends of the earth. What we really see taking shape here in the book of Acts is this incredible adventure story. I love a good adventure. We see this incredible adventure story of the early church and its disciples, of which God is inviting you and I to be a part. I love that, and, and I always feel encouraged, especially to, to share with young people, that, that if you want an adventure of a lifetime, if you want your life to matter, and if you want to be a part of something bigger than just yourself, give your life to Jesus. 
Give your life to Jesus because you are in for an adventure. And as I look back over my own life and I see what the Lord has done, only in hindsight can I see how God worked in my life. Right? And that's probably true of you as well. And if you want to live an adventure instead of just watching people live their lives, instead of watching people, instead of wasting the life that God has given you and observing other people live their lives, God is inviting you to live an adventure. Now, I want to warn you, with any good adventure story, there's these twists and turns, right? There's these setbacks. There's these things that you never saw coming. And so you're going to have to endure some of these twists and turns. And in order for us to endure what's coming at us, we need to be men and women who are like Stephen. Now, in one sense, there's nothing really all that special about Stephen. He's just a man. He's just a man like you and I, but in another sense, Stephen is not just a man. He's a man filled with the Spirit. That's the difference for us as believers. Are we filled with the Spirit. Stephen might just be a man, but he's not just a man. He's a man, it says here in Scripture, filled with the Spirit. And over the next few weeks, we're going to do a deep dive on the life of Stephen, and we're going to look at how we can be men and women who are full of the Spirit. Today, we're going to look at how our life can be a witness, like Stephen's life was a witness. In these verses, we find Stephen full of grace and power, caught in the middle of a dispute. He's caught in an argument. Now, this wasn't all that uncommon at this time. This was something that was pretty common among Jews. They would dispute, they would argue, they, they would kind of get into these disputes with one another, and they would argue theology. We see people do this all the time, maybe not just like on the street, but we see all sorts of videos, people who are doing apologetics, those sorts of things, right? This, is, this isn't uncommon to us either, but this was very common among the early church, among the Jews, that they would get into these disputes with one another, and the dispute that Stephen finds himself in is one with the synagogue of the freed men. At this point, Christians would have still been attending synagogues, and they would have been attending uh, the temple, right? They would have still been going to the temple. They would have still been going to the local uh, synagogues. The temple represents the centerpiece of the Jewish faith as a place where all of the sacrificial ceremonies and rituals were conducted, while the synagogues represented more of a place for a teaching setting, they would go to the synagogues, or the synagogues to be trained and to be taught and to learn the scriptures. Now, it's unclear how many synagogues were in Jerusalem. There could have been hundreds. And even in this passage, it's hard to really understand, is Luke talking about one synagogue, or is he talking about several synagogues that make up the synagogue of the freed men? But one question does emerge. Who or what is the synagogue of freed men? It's best understood to be a collection of Hellenistic Jews, right? This is not the Sanhedrin. 
This is not the Sanhedrin that we see putting Peter and John on trial. This is a group of Hellenistic Jews. Hellenistic Jews at that time weren't very well liked in Jerusalem because they were from the surrounding Greco-Roman Empire. They weren't from Jerusalem. And so what we see here is a group of Hellenistic Jews who have earned their freedom from slavery from different parts of the empire, and they make up the synagogue of freedmen. Now, what is incredibly interesting, and I got to talk this past week with Pastor Matt about this, What's really interesting is that one of the areas mentioned here in the text is Cilicia. Now, Cilicia was the hometown of Paul of Tarsus. Tarsus was in Cilicia. So it would be incredible to think that Stephen and Paul might actually know each other. And at one point, the possibility exists that they could have even debated in the synagogue. What is certain, however is that Stephen's life makes an incredible impact on Paul, as we're about to read in the coming chapters. So the dispute that Stephen found himself in with the synagogue of freed men was in regards to the temple and the law of Moses. Jesus, we need to understand this, is the ritual becoming reality, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of all that is happening at the temple, Right? They should have known. They should have been looking out for Jesus. They should have been paying attention because everything that happens at the temple was to point to the Messiah. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all that is taking place here in the temple. Jesus is the ritual becoming the reality. Jesus is the final sacrifice, and he does away with the entire sacrificial system. And Jesus fulfills the law, and he ushers in a new covenant. Stephen's words, as we'll see later in the text, is twisted. His words are twisted, misconstrued, manipulated, and used against him in a way that causes him to find himself in deep trouble. It's how Stephen responds to the situation that he's in that exemplifies for us how you and I can live our lives as a witness. Today, as we look at Stephen and we look at this incredible adventure story, we're going to look at the hero of the story. We're going to look at Stephen. We're going to look at Stephen and the example that he set for us And how you and I can be like Stephen as Stephen was like Christ. So let's examine Stephen to see how we can be more like him. So in the verses that we read today, we're going to be going back to some previous verses to build out more of an understanding of the type of man that Stephen was. And the first thing that we read about Stephen... And we read about this in verse 5 of chapter 6. Is that Stephen was a man who was full of faith. Stephen was a man full of faith. If we want to be like Stephen, we have to be men and women who are full of faith. Amen? I want that to be said of me. I want to be a man who is full of faith. Now, every single one of us who is in Christ has faith. 
we all have what is commonly known as saving faith, right? We all have saving faith, but here it is said of Stephen that he was full of faith. He was a man full of faith. This is something entirely different than saving faith. This is faith in action. This is faith being lived out. Jesus said at one point of his disciples that they had little faith, right? In contrast to others where Jesus said they had great faith, Stephen's faith in God's sovereignty gave him the confidence that whatever happened, no matter the circumstance, God was in control. Do you have that sort of faith? Do we have that sort of faith? Can that be said of me? You know, it was really hard as I'm studying this passage and looking at Stephen. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm about to preach on Stephen and I can't even say that what's true of him is true of me. Is it, am, am I a man of great faith? Am I a man who is full of faith? I know that can't be said about me in my life. And I just wonder if maybe we should do some introspection and ask ourselves, are we men and women who are full of faith? I get it. I know that God has saved me. I understand that. But I'm not always sure that God has my best interest in mind. You see, we all have this saving faith, right? We all have this saving faith, but some of us have experienced wounds in life that have damaged our faith, that have caused us to become skeptical of God and have caused us not to risk our lives for him. We've all done this. We've all experienced saving faith in Jesus Christ, but we still have this reservation about risking it all for Jesus, Stephen has an understanding of God's sovereignty over all of history. That he doesn't care about whether an election goes the way he wants. Because he realizes that God is ultimately in control. And his faith is in God, not in man. And so he realizes he can risk it all for God because he's in control. Because God is all that he needs. Stephen is a man full of faith. Are we people, are we men and women who are full of faith? Like Stephen, in order for us to live our lives as a witness for God, we need to be men and women who are full of faith. Amen? We need to be full of faith. It goes on to say in that same verse, verse 5, that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Similar to saving faith, every believer is indwelt with the Spirit at the moment of salvation. We believe that, right? That at the moment of our salvation, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says this, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The indwelling of the Spirit creates a new life in us where we were once dead. So why is it so important to emphasize that Stephen was full of the Spirit? Additionally, why do we see this phrase continually throughout the book of Acts? If the disciples were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, 
How is it possible that they can be filled again? Clearly, Luke must be talking about something other than being indwelt by the Spirit, which takes place at conversion. One commentary said that this is not a description of something instantaneous and momentary, but of an abiding condition. This is an abiding condition for Stephen. Stephen remained full of the Spirit. He constantly was seeking more of the Holy Spirit. If you remember earlier in the series, Pastor Tim talked about it like this idea of a balloon. It keeps being filled. You continue to fill it. For Stephen, this was an abiding condition. It goes on to say that here is a man who never lapsed, who never declined, who never fell away. He remained habitually full of the Spirit. Is that true of me? Am I constantly full of the Spirit? Do I remain full of the Spirit? I come to church, I sing some songs, I listen to a sermon, I feel better about my week, I go out the door, and I go about my life, and I forget that I have to remain full of the Spirit. To be full of the Spirit means to be yielded and obedient, fully controlled by the Spirit. That's what it means to be full of the Spirit. I thought a lot about this, and it's like our lives are so filled with distraction that it's so easy for us to fill our lives with everything else in the world. Why is it that we think nothing of spending three hours watching a football game but the idea of spending three hours in our, on our knees in prayer sounds radical. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with football. It's just, why does that sound crazy? Why is it that we stay up late at night scrolling on social media? Why is that okay and fine? But to put the phone away and to get down our knees beside our bed and consider that maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us, why is that weird? Why is it that we fill our lives with so many other things other than filling our lives with the Spirit? Galatians 5, 16 says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul goes on to explain what it looks like for us to walk by the Spirit by describing the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The degree to which we are filled with the Spirit is equal to the degree we are willing to say no to our flesh. I'm going to say that again. The degree to which we are filled with the Spirit is equal to the degree we are willing to say no to our flesh. Are you willing to give up comfort? Are you willing to give up your free time? Are you willing to give up those hours of your life that you cling to because it's the only time that you have for yourself? God forbid I, I use that to actually refresh myself in God, right? Are we willing 
to deny our flesh, to say yes to the Spirit. Stephen, being an example for us, was a man who was full of the Spirit. And if we desire to live our lives as a witness for God, we must also be men and women who are filled with the Spirit. We have to be filled with the Spirit if we want our lives to be a witness to God. Otherwise, our lives look just like the rest of the world. What's different about our life in comparison to the lives of those who are living in the world? If they look the same, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, acts like a duck, it must be a duck, right? What's different about us? What's different about the way we live our lives that makes room in our life so that we might be full of the Spirit of God? I get it. I understand. I really, I don't expect you to quit your jobs and just to pray all day, right? Like, we have things to do. I'm not trying to guilt us. I'm just saying, like, why is it that God gets such little of our time and attention when if we could use our time wisely, we could be more full of the Spirit of God so we could be his witnesses. Amen? So not only was Stephen full of faith, not only was he full of the Spirit, but it says in verse 8 of Stephen that he was full of grace and power. How cool is that? Full of grace and power. We observe that part of Stephen's life being a witness to God was the fact that he was full of grace and power. What a combination of words, right? What an incredible picture this creates for us. There's this quote that I found that says, nothing is so strong as gentleness and nothing is so gentle as real strength. There is something incredibly beautiful about these two attributes being contained in the person of Stephen. And it actually reminds me of Jesus, the God of the universe, emptying himself and willingly laying down his life, full of both grace and power. It actually suggests here in this passage, if you wanted to look into it more, that Stephen being full of grace was a gracious person. Go figure. Sometimes that can't be said of us, right? We've experienced God's grace, but we might not always be the most gracious people. Is that fair? I know I find that to be true of myself at times, but Stephen, it was thought that he was a gracious person. He was winsome, and his faith was charming. I love that. His faith was attractive to others. Now, I, as, I, as you hear this, my concern is some of us thinking to ourselves, like, well, that's just not my personality. I'm introverted, you know? I just don't like people. That's a problem, all right? We're called to love people, guys. Come on, work with me here, right? I just, that's not my person. We're not talking about a personality here. We're talking about somebody's life being so impacted with grace that it changes them. This is possible for you and I as believers. I know that there's different flavors, there's different personalities, there's different, you know, characters in church, if you will, right? I understand that, I, I understand that, but has your life been so impacted by the grace of God that it's caused you, like Stephen, to become a gracious 
person. Grace changes us. It changes us and it causes us to become more like Christ. We need to consider, how has God's grace changed me? So that I might be gracious towards others. And in contrast to the graciousness of Stephen, it is said that he was also full of power. This gentle, gracious man. You know, probably could have overlooked him in a crowd. You know, just a nice, just a nice guy, full of grace. But it says he was full of power. This is what is actually really interesting about Stephen, and I really wish I had more time to talk about it, because Stephen's not just a deacon, right? We talked about this last week, that these seven people who were put into these roles to oversee the widows, that it's kind of representative of the role of a deacon, but Stephen doesn't stay in his lane entirely, right? Stephen's not just a deacon because it says that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people, which up until that point, the only people that had been doing these great wonders and signs were the apostles. Stephen's not just a deacon, but neither is he an apostle. Is he an apostle? And what we learn here is the restriction is not absolute, you know, I don't, I don't expect to be able to be performing miracles anytime soon. This is not something God has done in my life. And I don't know if that's something you expect to be able to be doing in the near future. If, if, you, if you would, great. That's awesome. Tell me about it. I want to hear, right? But I don't know if I expect to be doing miracles in the near future. But what we learn is the Spirit of God is not limited in any way. The Spirit of God is going to do what the Spirit of God wants to do. Do you, do you understand that, right? Like you read here in the book of Acts, like there's like no normal pattern to how the Spirit works. One moment he shows up and he, he lets the Peter and John out of prison, right? And then the next moment, just a few chapters later, he's allowing Stephen to be martyred. The Spirit of God does what the Spirit of God wants to do, and we can't restrict the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I, I don't think that, you know, we're called to operate similar to, to Stephen, right? I don't think that we might have, and, and who knows? God could use us in incredible ways like Stephen, but that's not necessarily the point. Because the power isn't in the miracles, right? Don't get hung up on the fact that God used Stephen to do miracles. The power is in the message, the power is in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Signs and wonders are only meant to bring glory to God and to reveal where the real power comes from, which is the gospel. So if God decides, if the Spirit of God decides he wants to use you to do miracles, great. But don't seek those things. Seek the power of the gospel. Because that's what has the power to change lives. And this brings us to our final point as we look at Stephen's life as a witness. So we've looked at his life so far, and we've seen that he's a man full of faith, a man full of the Spirit. We see that he's a man full of grace and power. And we read in verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit with which he was speaking. Here we see the life of Stephen the life of a man who is spirit-filled in action. 
We get to see what it looks like for somebody who is spirit-filled in action. And Stephen finds himself in the middle of this heated dispute with those who are from the synagogue of freed men. Earlier in this passage, we read that one of the qualifications for the seven who were chosen to serve was that they would be full of wisdom. Now, at the time, they thought this was wisdom to oversee the distribution of the daily distribution for the widows, but this, this qualification came in handy. It came in handy in a way that they didn't necessarily expect. This gave them the ability to discern how to fairly oversee the distribution, but it also made Stephen qualified in a way where he would be able to debate with the men from the synagogue of freed men to the point where they could not withstand the wisdom, which is quickly linked to the idea once again that Stephen is full of the Spirit. Stephen is a man. That's all that he is. But he's a man filled with the Spirit. And what is actually taking place as we read in this passage is what Jesus promised in Luke 21, 14 through 15. He says, settle in, in the, settle in your hearts and in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. That's why we must be filled with the Spirit. It's not that we necessarily have to always be in our minds thinking about, well, what happens if I'm at work and this person comes to me? Or what happens if I start talking about Jesus and they ask this question? And you start to go through that process and you forget that's not what's important. What's important first is that you are filled with the Spirit of God. You must be filled with the Spirit of God. And if you focus on being filled with the Spirit of God, Jesus promises that he'll put his words in your mouth. And I know you've been in situations before where you thought, man, I felt stumped by that one. But I'd ask us to consider, were we walking in the Spirit? Were we filled with the Spirit? We'll learn in the next week, in the next couple of verses, that Stephen knew his word. He knew the word of God. He understood the word of God. So we need to have a well that we dig in our lives and fill with the Word of God so in the right moment, the Spirit can cause those things to bubble up, right? We need that in our lives. But in order for us to be prepared to be His witnesses, we need to be men and women who are full of the Spirit. We need to be full of the Spirit. The only way any of this is possible for you and I is if you and I are filled with the Spirit of God. Amen? We must resist the temptation to think that God couldn't use us in a similar fashion because Stephen, after all, was just a man like you and me, but he was a man filled with the Spirit. You know, God is still calling Stephens today. He's calling men and women to be full of faith, He's calling men and women to be full of the Spirit, to be full of grace and power. He's calling you and I to be filled with the Spirit of God. This begs the question then, are we a church filled with the Spirit? The better question 
Am I filled with the Spirit? Am I filled with the Spirit of God? I don't always know that I am as full as I should be. And if I had to guess, I think you might answer the same way. As you begin to look at your own heart and your own life, I think that, you know, maybe I'm not as full of the Spirit as I should be. But do I want to be? Am I willing? Am I willing to make time for God in my life? Am I willing to give up those things that I cling to so closely that make me feel comfortable and okay? Am I willing to be full of the Spirit? Are you willing to be full of the Spirit? I know that I'm not as filled as I should be, but Luke eleven thirteen says something incredible, and I don't know why, but it was the first time I saw it this way, and I had to go back and read it, and I want to read it, and we'll close with this as we prepare for communion. Luke eleven thirteen says, You then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will God give the good gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We already have the Spirit Yet we are to ask God for more again and again, over and over, that we would be filled continually with the Spirit. The only way that we can ensure that we are always filled is to always be asking. When's the last time you asked, God, fill me with your Spirit? Would you join with me in asking again? that God would fill us with his spirit. Amen? Let's pray together and ask that God would fill us with his spirit. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, God, I ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Sincerely, Lord, And God, I realize when we ask that question, I don't know if we know what we're getting ourselves into. God, there's likely areas in our life that we're going to need to say no to our flesh. And Lord, I don't know if we're prepared for that. God, the way we spend our time, the things that we give our energy to, God, we're going to have to reprioritize some things in our life if we truly want to be men and women filled with your spirit. God, I pray that you would make us full of faith. Lord, that we would have the confidence that you are sovereign over all of history. God, that you are sovereign over the events of our world even now at this very moment. I pray that we would be so confident of your control. God, that like Stephen, we'd be willing to risk it all. Because we know that whatever we face, you've got us. God, would you fill us? Would we be full of your spirit? God, would we be full of faith? And Lord, would you change us by your grace that we might become gracious and that we would become full of power so that we, like Stephen, 
could be a witness for you. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, would you help us, God, to take inventory of our own lives, to see if we are full of the Spirit, and then to repent, Lord, if there's something in the way. Lord, we ask, fill us with your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.